before we go to a time of prayer, uh, it says in there, for Christ's church in the world, I do want to explain this. I want to make sure that you're informed about decisions that we made, that they're not made in vacuums, and they're not made uh, for just silly uh, reasons. Uh, but we're going to uh, sort of re, we're redoing some things in our worship service, and one of the things that we're going to redo is the children's sermon, uh, trying to figure out what's the most effective way to communicate to kids. And quite honestly, the most effective way, though, it's really wonderful and it's sweet and there's a, there's a nostalgic piece for the kids coming up in there. It's really not the most effective way to communicate the truths of the gospel to them. And so we have really good ministries with our children in other ways and other places. And so we're going to highlight those and we're going to try to use this time as much as we can to effectively communicate and worship God uh, in this setting in a little bit different way. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, you're welcome to push back on that later, not now, uh, on, uh, on those uh, thoughts that you have uh, for me uh, and the elders. But we discussed them, and that's where we're going uh, with that. So um, that's why we don't have the kids' sermon uh, today. We're going forward uh, on that. Uh, but now let's turn our hearts. There's some great things going on that need prayer. One we said was John and Sarah, our uh, file, are going back and going to continue to minister in Japan. And prayer is an important part of your ministry, I would say. Because hearts aren't going to change in Japan unless God determines to change and move hearts. And so we want to pray that their ministry is effective. Uh, where's Ken Crovo? Where do I see Ken? There. Ken, you guys have something coming up this week, correct? What's that? There are several of our men who are going to a prison to minister the word of God, to share the gospel uh, to the men who are imprisoned there. And they need your prayer. Not for safety so much, uh, but for the power of God to move in the lives of those men there. Uh, we've got a Haiti trip coming up. And we don't want this just to be a fun trip that we go. But we want to see lives change. There's a lot of stuff happening. And we firmly believe in the power of prayer. So let's go to God now and ask him to move on his behalf. Let's pray. God, thank you that we even get the opportunity to pray, that we can communicate with you and that we can talk with you and that somehow in the mystery of your divine will and plan, you listen to our prayers and somehow they move your heart to action. Father, though I don't fully understand that, I trust it. And so we pray. And we lift up before you this church and the ministry of this church that we would be a church that points people to your name. That we would be a church that we see the gospel bearing fruit and growing in the lives of individuals. That this island and Bluffton and this area and the world would not be the same because Hilton Head Presbyterian Church exists. Father, would we be a church that would be missed if we closed our doors? Not because we play good music or entertain people or have great kids ministries, but because Christ is lifted up effectively and in truth. So, Father, use us. Father, there are many in our church who come from different backgrounds, and would you, would you gather us in such a way that our diversity becomes our strength, not our breaking point? That our differences uh, become that that incredible message of how the gospel brings divergent, different people from different backgrounds and different ages, different socioeconomic and racial backgrounds come together under the power and the umbrella of your word and then go out unified to see the world changed. Would you do that in our midst and use us? Father, for the individual needs of our people, encourage them, I pray. For our children, even now as they're being ministered to, 
would you encourage the leaders and use them effectively that, Father, these little ones would know you profoundly and never walk or waver from their love for you. For the youth and the teenagers and young adults who are here with us, God, would you strengthen them in a world that is growing in its hostility towards the truth of the gospel. Confusion abounds in the world. And would they see the truth lifted up? And would they grow in their knowledge of you? Father, we pray for our ministries of Kairos and for the files and for Haiti, that God, your spirit would go and already now prepare hearts. And Father, in that same way, prepare our hearts now to receive your word, to be encouraged by it, and then come to this table and to be nourished by your grace, the beauty of the gospel itself. This we pray in your son's name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to turn over to Colossians uh, chapter 1. And we're going to look for a few minutes together uh, at this wonderful letter that Paul wrote. And then coming out of our time of discussing uh, God's word together, we're going to come to this table. Because see, what we're, what we're highlighting today, what I wanted to highlight is the simple fact that what we celebrated last week, Easter, has an ongoing significance and meaning in your life. Too often we highlight something in one week and then we forget about it. Try to go to a store and buy Easter candy. It's gone. It's moved on. And it's probably Mother's Day is already there, getting ready. So get ready, by the way, for Mother's Day. But then, guess what? As soon as Mother's Day's over, that stuff's gone. And Father's Day comes around. And another holiday. And we keep moving, and we keep moving, and we keep moving. And too often for us in the church, we fail to appropriate, we fail to consider the ongoing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking to some of the other pastors in the area and they were excited about seeing lots and lots of people give their lives to Christ. And that's exciting on Easter to see many people committing their lives to Christ. And for many of you, if I asked you, what is the purpose of the gospel? What is the purpose of it? If you could tell me, most of you would say it's to bring people to Jesus Christ. You would say it's the A, B, and C of the Christian faith. And you'd be correct in that statement, but you would have missed the second half of it. It's not just to bring us to Christ and to to change us. It is also to sustain us and to make us more like Christ throughout the course of our lives. The gospel, the power of the resurrection, the power of the cross has an ongoing impact in your life. Too many people in the church basically start like this. I need Jesus to get this whole mechanism working. I've got to get him to change me so I can get in the game. And then I got it from there. Then it's just hunkering down, hard work, pulling up by your own bootstraps and white knuckle it all the way into the kingdom. And hopefully at the end of the day, when you die, you've done enough, you've held on tightly enough, and you get in. But in the middle of it, you hear statements like this that I can't stand. Earth... And this life is the only heaven that a non-believer will ever experience and the only hell that a believer will. And basically what's that saying is this, this life is just hellish. And you just need to bear down and grip it and hope that you'll make it to the end. That doesn't do much for me. I don't know about for you guys, but that's not a really good sales point for me. Maybe we could put up a billboard as you come on the island. Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. 
where we'll tell you about how to have drudgery the rest of your days. But in the end, you get heaven. Well, maybe a few people would come. Or could we say something more like this? We want to tell you about the surpassing greatness and overwhelming power of God at work in your life to make you more than a conqueror, an overcomer, to redeem you, to to make you new, to do all of this stuff, to allow you to enjoy and to experience this life in the fullness of how it was designed so that you don't have to carry with you all the scars of your past, that you don't have to carry with you all of the faults that you've had, but you get to celebrate fully this life. Now, most people would say, I'd like to hear that message. And that's what Paul is talking about. Because you see, Paul had preached uh, in Ephesus. And Ephesus was more of a region. And there was this guy, Epaphras, who had probably come over to Ephesus and listened to Paul. And he went back to his hometown, to Colossae. And he went and he said, I've got to go tell people in Colossae about this gospel, about Jesus Christ. And he began preaching and he established a church in Colossae. And so now, Epaphras has come to Rome many years later. Paul is imprisoned in chains. Uh, He's there as a minister of the gospel, imprisoned. And Epaphras is coming to him. And Epaphras has basically said, Paul, you know that wonderful church that we started together through your preaching and then my ministry there? It's under attack. There's false teaching that's come in. There's difficulties that are going on. The people have forgotten the truth of the gospel. There's There's no fruit in their lives. There's no growth in their lives. There's no vitality in their lives. What do we need to do? Well, Paul was chained, and so he couldn't leave and go do it hand, uh, firsthand, so he wrote this letter. And we're going to begin a little bit farther back than what's printed in your bulletin. I'm going to read the whole first chapter. Don't get overwhelmed by that. It's just 22 verses. And by the way, this is a letter. When was the last time you read a letter one paragraph at a time with several days in between? Read the whole thing. It's a letter that Paul wrote, and it's a continued uh, description. And so here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, the, before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned, in, it, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. And so we come... And in this section, there are several things that I want us to see. First, Paul says there are goals for both the church and for the individual. Many of you are goal-oriented people. You want to know where we're heading. What's it supposed to look like? Well, the scriptures give us goals. And so we're going to look first at what are the goals. And then we're going to begin to talk about, well, how do we accomplish those goals? How do we get there? How do we unpack it? Because we've always talked here and said two words, indicative and imperative, that the indicative always precedes the imperative. And what I mean by that is this, who you are in Christ, what has happened, what has been established in your life is what leads you to then do the imperative, the go and do this, the go and minister, go and tithe, go and serve, go and do. Too often we flip-flop it. We go, if I go and do this, if I'm a good person, if I'm a moral person, then I'll get to be righteous. But Paul and all of the writers of Scripture always say it the other way. And so that's what we're going to see here. We're going to start first with the goals. Paul says this, the gospel, the goal of the church, of the gospel church, and we need to remember this here at our church and look and see, are we accomplishing what we're supposed to be doing? He says this, I've heard in there in verse 5 and 6, says, I've heard that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing around the world. So we need to ask of ourselves as a church, are we bearing fruit and seeing the kingdom of God grow through our ministries? And if we're not, we need to revamp what we're doing. And so I want you to hear this about your leadership, about me, about the elders and deacons uh, and the women's ministry leaders in our church. We are constantly asking those questions. Are we seeing growth in the lives of individuals and are we seeing growth in the bearing of fruit in the lives of non-believers? I hope one day that what we see more and more in our church is that folks who aren't church, folks who are lost, hear the gospel and come to faith and that we just see them coming and flooding into our church because that's what we want to see is the kingdom of God expanding in that way. So there's macro goals, there's larger goals, and some of those are just that, that it's growing and bearing fruit in the world. But then Paul downshifts a little bit. He picks up in verse 9 and he says, but there are personal goals. And this is where I want you to really key in and listen. This is what you need to see and hold up in your life. If the gospel is at work in your life, if God is at work in your life, you are going to see these things naturally happening. You know... You know an apple tree how? What's the best way to know whether it's an apple tree or an orange tree? Apples or oranges, right? That they naturally grow those things. 
I, I joke around, I've been made fun of over the course of my ministry, of saying you're not going to go out into an apple orchard in the mountains of North Carolina up in Hendersonville in October and see all the apple trees just moaning and groaning and trying and white knuckling to try to pop out some apples. They just happen. It's a natural occurrence. These things that I'm about to list for you should be natural occurrences within the life of a believer. These things should be borne out. We talked about them in a different way called fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are just a little different way of looking at those similar things. And so if you don't see them in your life, you should pause and ask, why don't I see these things? Am I moving towards these goals? And here they are. They're listed uh, out there for us. Paul says, first, I want to see that you are filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 9, question regularly that I'm asked, what's God's will for my life? Good question. Go find out. That you would learn and know what his will is for your life. And then Paul sort of goes, you see, I'm going to answer that for you. You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. That you would grow in all spiritual wisdom, in all spiritual manner. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse 10. The way you live matters, folks. The way you live matters. Because we're talked about God as glorious and weighty and other. It says that if we are bearing his name, if we say that I'm a Christian and I'm going out, that I need to walk in a way that is worthy of his name. Many of you have raised your families in that way. Remember whose name you bear. When you go out into the world, remember whose name you bear. You're a McCutcheon. You're a Smith. You're a Morgan. uh, You're a whomever. You go out into the world and you bear that name. Christ says the same thing. Guess what? There's a watching world. And they know you're here, by the way. You're, You're not incognito. You know what one of the greatest arguments against people who are not churched is of coming to the church. It may be your argument too, if you're just tipping your toe back in. I'm tired of the hypocrisy of Christians. I'm tired of people who say they bear the name of Jesus, who say they love God, who say all of these things, but the manner in which they live their lives doesn't look anything like the God of the Bible that I read. And so one of the things that we should be seeing in our lives on a personal level is this, that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord's name. Then it says again in verse 10, live in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord. Bear fruit in every good work. He wants to see you increase in the knowledge of God. Do you study the Bible? Do you have Bible dictionaries in your shelf? Do you have Lagos on your, on your cell phone that you can look around and you can study that you're growing in the knowledge of who God is, that you're a student in all of those things, that you're being strengthened with all power, that you're able to endure the things in this life and you're able to have patience in this life with a little caveat there, with joy. Too often what we say is this, oh, just get through it and you'll, you'll be okay. Paul doesn't say you just grin and bear it and get through anything. He says if you're a Christian and you're growing in these ways and the gospel has taken a deep and firm root in your life and it's bearing out fruit, you're not only simply going to endure things and you're not only going to be a patient person, but you're going to have endurance and patience with joy. How many of you drove south on I-95 recently? Anybody? 
or no, north, sorry, I'm going to switch it back. How many of you have driven north on I-95 lately? A few of you? How fun is that in the springtime? We drove to Wilmington, uh, North Carolina on Thursday, pouring down rain, and it seemed like there must not be anybody left south of here. Because evidently there wasn't anybody left north of here uh, earlier in the winter. Because they're all heading up. And it was standstill. Six hours of bumper-to-bumper traffic. Yeah, wow. It really was not fun. (laughs) Now, driving back was really nice. Because I got to laugh at all the people driving north going, I was there. I was there. Yeah. I endured it. I was somewhat patient. But I don't think Lisa would have categorized me as with joy uh, in all of that. See, what Paul's saying is there's a difference. Non-believers can endure. Non-believers can be patient. Christians have something uniquely about them. If the gospel takes roots, it's different in your life. It's different there. It has an ongoing change of being with joy. And then ultimately it says giving thanks, verse 12, to the Father that we're a thankful people. That we thank him in all circumstances for what he has done for us and to us. So you see there are goals. There's both the macro goals for the church that it needs to be bearing fruit and growing. And then there are personal goals within our lives. We want to see these things happening in our lives. So now becomes the question, how do you get these things to happen in your life? What is the source of power for you to do it? Many people would tell you this and other religions would tell you this and other philosophies would tell you this. And sadly many churches would tell you this. Go out and do it. Work really, really hard and go do it. Get busy. And for some of you, you're worn out. There's no joy. There's no satisfaction. There's nothing because you have been working and working and working towards these goals. And what you failed to appropriate is the source of the power to get you to these goals. And here's what he says. How do you get there? How do you see it first? I would tell you this. Look at what the Father has done for you. If you want to see these things building and growing in your life, first, look at what the Father has done for you. Look at verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father. For what, you might say? For this. For he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And whom, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So first, you want power to see these things happening in your lives? Look at what the work of the Father is. He has qualified you. He has delivered you. And he has transferred you. He has basically said... Now, because of my work in your life through my son, who we're going to look at in just a second, you are now qualified to be in the kingdom. And I am going to take you out of the kingdom of darkness. You have been a citizen and you're a citizen in a kingdom whether you know it or not. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You're not neutral. There's no Switzerland in this play. And so you stand and you're either with God or you're against him. And so God is saying, what I've done, what I have done on your behalf... Do you notice that? He's not saying what you have done by all of your hard work, what you are even currently doing by you being here, what you're doing by tithing, what you're doing. You don't get to transfer yourself. You don't get to qualify yourself. You don't get to do anything for yourself. God's saying, I, the Father, have done this on your behalf. 
I've done it. Martin Luther put it this way. If you put a caterpillar in a ring of fire, how is the caterpillar going to be saved? How is it going to get out? Only if somebody reaches in and takes the caterpillar out and sets it outside of it. That's what God is saying here. He goes, you couldn't have gotten out of the kingdom of darkness. You couldn't have gotten out of it, however good and wonderful you are. I had to come in and I had to do the work on your behalf. Now, folks, that's good news, isn't it? Because I know something about myself. When I set really high and lofty goals and I don't quite get to reach my high and lofty goals, you know what I normally do? I just lower my goals. (laughs) I just change the equation a little bit. I realize that I've got a lot of faults. I've realized that I've got a lot of things that don't work really well. And so if now all of a sudden the goal was to get to heaven, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Now I could look around and say I'm better than some people. But that doesn't get you in. You're just a little bit farther along the road to destruction than they are. God is saying, I did this on your behalf. So do you want to see some of these things happening in your life? Paul says, look at what God's done for you. And then secondly, look at what Christ has done for you. God says he's transferred you. He's made you, he's made you um, qualified. He's delivered you. Now look at what Christ has done. Quick sidestep. What makes Christ able to do this? Paul knows your argument. He's an incredible attorney at law. And he says, you might go, Christ, Who's Christ? How can Christ do this? Well, here's what he says. Look at Christ. Christ is the one who was, in verse 16, the creator of all things. He was the object of all of creation. And he is the sustainer of all things. And in him the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. So he's saying this Christ... This Christ who we celebrated rising from the dead last week, who died on the cross. This Christ who's raised and is seated at the right hand. He has the ability. He has the power. He has it. He can do it for you. This isn't anybody else. This isn't, you're not calling an undersecretary. You're not calling anyone else. You are calling the top dog. You're calling the one at the very top of the food chain and saying, this is the person who is at work on your behalf. Now, Set aside political wranglings and political differences. If you wanted to get something accomplished in, your, in this country, maybe it was something simply small. Maybe you had a speeding ticket and you needed to get the speeding ticket taken care of. I would imagine if you could call up to the White House, go into the Oval Office, sit down with, with the president and say, Mr. President, I've got this speeding ticket. You think you can take care of it? And he said, I'll take care of that for you. And he made a phone call to the South Carolina Highway Department, uh, Highway Patrol Department. Do you think your, your ticket would get taken? taken care of? That wasn't really a rhetorical question. (laughs) Some of you are going, well, I'm not sure. I said put aside political wranglings. I promise you this. South Carolina Highway Highway Patrol Department, Officer McCutcheon speaking. Mr. McCutcheon, it's the President of the United States. Yes, sir. I want you to let this person's ticket go yes sir you got it because of who he is and his position of authority he gets to make things happen right Jesus because of who he is and because of his position in authority has the ability to make things happen in your life And so if we diminish who he is, if he wasn't fully God or fully man or didn't really rise from the dead or didn't really do these things, then we diminish that and he can't accomplish what he was called to accomplish. But if we see who he is, that he's the very God of very gods, 
equal with God in power and glory, that he lived this life among us perfectly on our behalf, that he died, was buried, descended into hell, was raised from the dead. He faced the judgment that you and I were supposed to face, that he walked out of an empty tomb and that he's ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father. When he speaks on your behalf, heaven and earth listen. You realize that, don't you? You have an advocate who isn't some secondary citizen of heaven. You have an advocate who is Jesus Christ himself looking and saying this. Verse 14. I redeemed them. I forgave his or her sin. Verse 14. I reconciled them to myself. Verse 20. I have made peace for them. Verse 20, you see, he is saying, this is what I've done on your behalf. That's Christ's work for you. And what you need to do is put your name in there. Jesus Christ, who is preeminent above all things, the creator of all things, the object of all things, the sustainer of all things, fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ redeemed Bill McCutcheon. Jesus Christ forgave Bill McCutcheon of his sins. Jesus Christ reconciled Bill McCutcheon to himself and to the Father. Jesus Christ made peace with Bill McCutcheon. And remember who you're talking about. Jesus is doing this for you and has done this for you. And the way that he did it, it says in verses 20 and 21, he accomplished it through his death and through his blood. You want to know why what we celebrated last week was so significant? Because nothing else happens if that didn't happen. There is no hope for us if that's just a story in history. If that's just a myth. If all of that is, it's just something to make us feel better. Well, it doesn't make me feel better. I need to know that it really happened and that he really is who he says that he is and he really has the power to accomplish what he says that he can accomplish on my behalf. And what Paul is saying is, yes, he does. You can bet your life on it. Remember how he said all the other religions were done privately? Joseph Smith was spoken to privately and there were no witnesses. That Muhammad was spoken to privately and there were no witnesses. What we're saying is Jesus Christ came right out in the open and he says, I beat death. You can talk to 500 people about it. You can see them and talk to them about it. It's a historic fact. And now I'm rising from the dead and I'm going to be ascended into heaven and I'm coming back one day. And you can stake your life on it. Isn't that good news? That there is power to overcome your life. There is power in one who says, I am on your side. Too many of us play the victim in our lives. Too many of us have this sense of, oh, well, it's not for me. That is the most arrogant statement that you could possibly make. It sounds humble, but it's incredibly arrogant. Because what Jesus is saying here to you is, I've done it for you. Believe it and receive it. That's what he's talking about. Because then when you consider the next thing, we talked about what's the source of gospel power, what's the goals, then what's the source, then ask this question, what's really happened in my life? Verse 21 says this about you, your previous condition. You were alienated from God, you were hostile in your mind towards God, and you were doing evil deeds. But now, because of the work of Christ, look at what he says about you. Now, you are holy You are blameless 
and you are above reproach. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. He's saying because of the work of Christ in your life, you have been set aside. You are holy. You are different. It doesn't make you perfect. You're not going to mess up. But he says, you're set aside. There's something significant about you. He says, and now you're blameless. What are you blameless for? All your mess-ups and all the mess-ups to come. You don't carry the blame for that. Christ says, I've paid for that. He says, you are above reproach. No one can take you down. No one can bring you down. That's what he's saying about you. So here's the question. How does that statement, all those indicatives, all that about what's happened to you, who you are, how does that begin to translate into your life to make you begin to see your life differently, to live your life differently? And here's what I would simply say to you in closing. What will you need to do? Paul says, you will see growth in your life. Verse 23, you will bear fruit and you will grow if you remain in the faith. If you keep yourself fixed on these things. If you don't shift, but you remain stable and steadfast and that you know the hope of the gospel. So here, standing right here in front of us, is the hope of the gospel. And I would tell you this. Do you want to see vitality in your life? Do you want to see these things growing? Are you wrestling with falling into old sins and falling into this? You've got a marriage that just seems to barely be hanging on and you want it to to change? Well, it's not about your spouse. Does your spouse need to change? Probably. But no more so than you do. And how is it that marriages become vital? How is it that children and parents can come back together? How is it that we can be fruitful in our lives? Look at the cross and consider what's been done to you, for you, and by whom it was done. Just contemplate it for a little while. I don't have it in my pocket, but hey, I love my phone too much because I find myself in a moment checking something, email, Facebook, like it really matters where I ate or you ate. Um, but, uh, but I'm interested for some reason. And it's just, or I have to check and see who won a basketball game last night or who's going to win this or who the Panthers are going to draft so they could continue to be mediocre next year and all of the different things. I, I'm just all interested in those things. Paul is saying, do you want to see absolute change in your life? Then stop all the other noise and consider this. Peter put it this way. You can mark this down and read it later. I thought it was amazing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. He kind of summarizes a little bit of what Paul's been saying. He says, His divine power, that is God's, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, growing and bearing fruit, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there for a moment. How many of you would say that you're being fruitful and growing in these things? And if you're not, the next question has to be, how are you going to grow? And most of you would say, I got to go get in a Bible study. I got to go to church more. I got to quit drinking. I got to quit smoking. I got to quit this. I got to start this. You would go through a laundry list of things that you have to do in order to become more fruitful and to become more alive in Christ. Look at what Peter says. It's one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible. For whoever lacks these qualities, and many of us would say we lack these qualities, he's saying is nearsighted, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Did you catch that? He didn't say work harder. He said, if you're not being fruitful in your life, if you're not seeing God's work growing in your life, what has happened to you is this, you've forgotten this table. You've forgotten how much God loves you in Christ. You've forgotten how lost you were, how alienated you were, how under destruction you were, and how much, because of the work of Christ, you have been brought into the kingdom of light. You've been given a name. You've been established, called righteous, called holy. You've forgotten that. So if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life, if you want to see these things that we've talked about grow in your life, you want to accomplish the goals, go back to the gospel and preach it to yourself every single day. If you want to grow in your marriage, you want to love your wife better, husbands, here's what you need to do. Preach the gospel to yourself in this way. You're not that special either. Jesus Christ had to die for you. And maybe because he could forgive you of your sins and because he could forgive you of your shortcomings, maybe you could forgive your wife of hers. Preach the gospel. Kids, do you want to be able to say no to some of the temptations that are out there? Of sex, of drugs, of going out and living a life that's totally lost? Maybe the way to do that isn't just to say, nope. Maybe it's to say, everything in me wants to go and pursue that because what I'm doing is I'm thinking that there's joy and there's life in those, but I'm going to preach the gospel to myself and say this, that those things, they can't give me life, but only Jesus Christ can give me life. And he died for even my desire to go out and do that. And so, Lord, would you fight on my behalf? Would you be my power to overcome these temptations and live in a way that's worthy of your love? God can do all kinds of incredible things for you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Come to the table. So today we're giving you that opportunity. This isn't a Presbyterian table. This is a Christian table. Jesus said this is a table of remembrance. God was pretty smart because he said this, my folks are going to forget the gospel. So I need to give them tangible, touchable, tasteable things to remind them of what's happened in their lives. So he said, I'm going to give you bread. And this bread, this represents the body of my son who lived and died on your behalf. And he said, I'm going to give you wine. And this cup. It's in remembrance. It's to preach that gospel back to yourself that this blood that he shed should have been your blood, but it was his on your behalf so that your blood doesn't have to be shed. Because of his life and his death, you can live. And that's awesome news. That's good news. And it's a free table. You don't have to pay to come. 
You don't even have to be worthy to come. This is a table for the unworthy. To come and to receive grace. So let's pray and then sing of this grace that we've received. God, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel and what it compels us, the goals that it drives us towards. But it's not from fear behind us that we want to accomplish those goals, but it's because of the unbelievable love set before us that we desire to meet them. Father, we want to know you. We want to know your mercy. We want to know your grace. We want to experience joy. We want to because we see in Christ all the fullness of it. And we know what you have done on our behalf with him by the power of your spirit. So God, as we come, prepare us and would we celebrate with joy this table. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Let's stand and sing.